I'm Kyle Northcutt. Welcome to the Kids Learn Career Show. Each week, I ask a different person about their job so you can know what your options are out in the world. My guest today is Reuven Lerner, a Python trainer and CEO. Reuven, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Super happy to be here, Kyle. Thanks for being here. First off, can you tell me what Python is, a little bit more about your company does, and what it's like to be a CEO? Yeah, sure. So if you want a computer to do something, you have to program it. And there are thousands and thousands of languages you can use. People might have heard of Java or C or C Sharp. And Python is nowadays one of the most popular programming languages. Um, so what I do is I teach people Python. And most of the time, I go into companies and I teach Python there. So a lot of high-tech companies, like you might think, oh, well, they have professional programmers. So they already know how to program. And they do, but often not in Python. So their companies will teach them Python so they can do Python things. And they'll invite me or someone else. If it's someone else, they're not as good, obviously. They'll invite me or someone else to come in and teach a class so that their employees will then be able to use Python to solve problems. Mm. And my company nowadays is just me. Uh, I've had people work for me in the past, but it's just me. So I am the CEO, but I'm also everything else. And CEO just means I'm in charge of things. So I'm in charge of talking to my accountant. I'm in charge of paying taxes. I'm in charge of scheduling. Uh, I'm in charge of absolutely everything, um, including, including the less fun stuff of like going to the post office when I need. Um, so there you go. That's what I do. So what kinds of things do you actually do day to day at work? So a typical day is me teaching eight hours of Python at a company. So let's say like people at Apple, like they need to teach their people Python. Like there's a certain group and they have thousands and thousands and thousands of employees. So some group at Apple will be like, we need to know Python. So they'll bring me in and I'll typically teach, let's say four days in a row, usually like nine to five, something like that. We'll take off for lunch. We'll take some breaks, you know, it's sort of like in school. Um, and so my day is I get in, I teach, I finish teaching, but then I actually have the stuff to run for my company and I have to deal with accounting stuff and I have to answer email and so on. So but the bulk of my day is teaching. And it used to be before the coronavirus pandemic, I was traveling a ton. Mm -hmm. So like in 2019, I was in the US and the UK and Europe and India and China, and then here in Israel where I live, wow. which was super cool and fun. Yeah, I loved it. And then you, you might've heard there's this little pandemic going around. So that's kind of put a stopper in uh, some of our uh, travel. So now I'm doing the same sort of thing just from my computer at home rather than traveling. Mm -hmm. So when did you first know you wanted to do this kind of work? It could be a long, long time. So back when I was in eighth grade, I love showing this to people, our eighth grade yearbook, like they ask you, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a computer programmer and write books and teach. Um, and it's kind of shocking that it's actually come down to that. Um, I went, I got a degree in computer science. Um, I worked as a programmer for a few companies. And then I thought I'd decide, like I decided to have my own company doing programming. And over time, I realized that um, some of my clients didn't want me to do programming. They wanted me to teach them what I was doing so their staffs could do it easier. And over time, I realized, huh, the teaching is more fun, easier, and even pays better. Why would I not want to do this? And so it was probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little more, that I decided that I was just going to go all in on training and especially all in on training in Python. And I, I have never been happier. Oh my God. It's like, the best decision I ever could have made. Mm. So did you actually consider other jobs or careers before this one, like other than this? Um, and can you tell us a bit more about the path you took to get here? 
Sure. So when I graduated from college back in dinosaur times in 1992, um, so Typically, if you do, graduate with a degree in computer science, you went to work for a big computer company. Some people work for smaller ones, some people work for bigger ones, but basically you went to work. So I went to work for Hewlett Packard for HP, which was at that time a really big company. And so I was working as a programmer doing medical electronics, like stuff for hospitals. And it was okay. And then I worked for Time Warner, which was a big media company doing their web stuff. Um, and that's when I really started to get more excited about programming. I realized like saying that you're a programmer is sort of like saying you're a doctor. There's so many different kinds of doctors out there and there's so many different kinds of programmers out there. And so the good news is you can kind of choose how you want to use those skills. And so um, I didn't, I mean, I sort of always imagined, by the way, that I would have my own company. When I was really little, I would talk about having my own company. I would write things about like Learner Publishing Incorporated. And so when I started my own consulting company, I was like, okay, it's just me now, but eventually I'm gonna have the Learner Consulting Towers and we're gonna to have thousands of people working for me. Uh, and I had five people work for me and then the bottom dropped out of the economy in the year 2000 and I had to fire everyone. I was like, huh, maybe actually having people work for me is not all it's made out to be. And so from that time onward, more or less, it was just me. Um, I've had a handful of people work for me, but it's a lot of trial and error and a lot of sort of figuring out what I like, what I don't like, and what works. Mm. So what do you like most and least about your job? I love the teaching and I love the excitement of helping people learn things, helping people improve their careers. I mean, what happens so often is I'll answer a question and I'll see people's faces light up or they'll even say to me explicitly, wow, I can't believe, like this is gonna save us so much time. This is gonna save us so much money. Um, you know, because you taught us this, you can help. And indeed, like when I was back on site at companies, people would come up to me in the cafeteria and say, hey, you know that thing you taught us a few months ago when I took your class? I've really used it, it's really helped me. And that's just like the best feeling that basically I have nothing to hide. I can help people with their jobs. And that's just super, super nice. Um, and get paid for it too, you know, come on. Um, the worst part, oh, it's like the invoice, all the, all the drudgery stuff, sending out invoices, chasing after people to get paid, dealing with taxes, the things that no one really wants to deal with. But my company is small enough that I can't really hire anyone else to do that. Um, also once a year, I have to have a meeting with my accountant to talk about like the, the state of the, the company and he'll like talk to me about, well, you're doing this and you're doing that. And I'll kind of like roll my eyes and say, okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I know how people feel when I'm talking. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Kids Green Team, a business startup kit I created with my friend Micah. Here's the problem we learned about that we couldn't ignore. Your city doesn't recycle plastic grocery bags, shipping air pillows, bubble wrap, and other plastic like that. Whether you throw them in the trash yourself or put them in your curbside recycling bin, they're headed for a landfill, or worse, the ocean. But that's where my friend Micah and I come in. We've built an entire course to teach kids like us how to turn this unnecessary waste into a successful business, profitable from month number one. Check it out at kidsgreenteam.com. Let's do some good together. Okay, now back to the show. What level of education do you have? Was that required for your job or not? 
So one of the wild things about the computer industry is that while it's certainly helpful to have a degree, you don't need one. And there are very few official rules about degrees or rules about even certifications. That said, I'm very fortunate. So I uh, have a computer science degree from MIT. I studied there and had a super, super fun time there. Actually, I had a super fun time accepting classes when I it was really working hard. Um, and then after I finished college, I worked for about 10 years. And then I was kind of frustrated with my work, uh, doing all the consulting and programming stuff. And so someone suggested I go and get a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you're thinking of a PhD, Kyle, come and talk to me first. Because um, <laughs> I'm glad I finished it and I did it. But the PhD um, was not in computers. It was in a combination of things called uh, learning sciences. So it's like, how do people learn and how can we use technology to help that? And so the combination of my degrees does give me a lot of insights and, and ideas about how I can do my job better. But let's face it, at the end of the day, no one's like, oh, we are going to hire you because you have a PhD and you went to MIT. Mm -hmm. Rather, they're going to say, we're going to hire you because we've heard good things about your training. And oh, the PhD, that's like, that's nice to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how much money would someone starting out in your field expect to make? And what's the long-term income potential? So someone starting off, typically someone who does training does not work for themselves when they start off. Rather, they work for a training company. And so the training company will often take even half the money, which sounds like, oh my God, they're stealing a lot, but they're doing a lot of work marketing and talking to clients and trying to figure out where to put you in. Um, so you can easily make, I don't know, uh, I have to think about it. You could probably make like between $1,000 and $2,000 a day pretty easily if you're training for someone else, which is not bad at all, assuming you're teaching something that um, is in demand. But when you start teaching on your own, if you start getting really big clients, you can make serious, serious money. Um, I mean, people, not me, but like people are making millions of dollars doing training, um, especially if they start teaching not just in person, but online and then selling uh, uh, recorded courses, which I've started doing, but I'm not quite at the millions or even close to it yet. But there's, there's room to grow. There's room to grow. Mm -hmm. So how much free time do you have? Like, do you work a traditional 40-hour work week more or less? So um, if my kids heard you ask that, they would think that was the joke of the day. Um, because basically the notion that I work 40 hours is kind of laughable. I've gotten much better. So, so let's think about it. If I'm teaching eight hours a day and I need, let's call it another two hours a day just to deal with email and accounting and writing and so forth. And I'm writing a book and I have newsletters. So it adds up very quickly. At the same time, I used to be crazy, 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 crazy all the time working. Like I would sleep very little and I would work all the time. My family wouldn't see me that much. Um, and over the last few years, I've realized, A, I don't need to do that, that my business is good enough that I can relax a bit. If things don't happen right away, that's okay. And number two, I don't want that. I want to spend time. I have three children. I'm married. I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time relaxing. And so that's become a more and more important thing for me to do. And if I can take a day off, I'll definitely do it. When a, when a client cancels, my reaction is not, oh no, my reaction is, Yay, I get to like, let, let's schedule something with my wife or with my kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what advice do you have for young people considering what you do for their job? So first of all, I had no idea, no idea that the training industry even existed until several years into my work. Um, like now I know, oh, it's this big, it's this big industry, like, and people kind of know each other in it, but it's a big thing. So if people are interested in training, there are a few things you need to be good at. You actually have to know the subject matter you wanna teach. So if you wanna teach programming, become a good programmer and get really good at it and learn what you can. Um, and also then get good at speaking in public. 
I, by the way, hated speaking in public. I was scared of it. I was upset by it. I thought I was terrible at it. And it's like everything else. You know how you get better at it? You do it a lot and you get criticism and you feel awful. And the next time you get better at it. And so the combination of being a good programmer and being a good public speaker, I, I, I talk to people who are giving talks at conferences and they're like, okay, so I've written a draft and I've now reviewed it 30 times. I think I'm ready. And I don't have the heart to tell them, oh, I just kind of write it out and then give the talk. Uh, <laughs> like, but I've got enough experience now that I can more or less do that. And it won't be the best if I don't practice, but it won't be so terrible either. Mm. Yeah, so this one is borrowed from Tim Ferriss, a best-selling author and one of the top podcasters in the world. What is one of the best and most worthwhile investments you've ever made? So I'll tell you two things, because you know, you're that kind of guy. I'm going to give you two mm -hmm. for the price of one. Um, so first of all, I learned to touch type. My parents forced me when I was in high school to do that. And I yelled and I screamed and I said, this is terrible. And you don't love me. And if you really cared about me, you would maybe do this thing. And then I did it. And within two to three weeks, I was typing faster than ever before. And the fact that now I can get up in front of an audience and talk to them, look at them and type on like without looking at my fingers, it first of all floors them. So it's like good for the impressiveness. But second of all, it allows me to do my job. The second thing is kind of a little weird which is um, a number of years ago, uh, I was asked to go to China to teach. And so I decided to start learning Chinese and that's become a hobby slash obsession of mine. So I still take lessons and yeah. learning something, it doesn't matter what it is, but become, being a beginner is very humbling and very good if you're a teacher because it mm -hmm. puts you in the position of being a student and it makes you understand where they're coming from. And I would hear my Chinese teacher say things to me. I'd say like, oh my God, I say that. If my teacher makes me feel awful when she says that, I'm making my students feel awful when I say that, I'm gonna stop saying that. So I have. Yeah. So was there a time in your life where you felt like you completely failed at something, but it ended up helping later on in life? Uh, many times, many, many, many times. So when the bottom dropped out of the economy in 2000 and I had to fire everyone and I had debts, I was like, I don't know, how am I gonna get out of this? How am I gonna get out of this? Maybe I'm just like terrible at business. Maybe like, you know, everyone knows I'm a fraud. Um, and no, I just need to change the way I did things. So that's one time. And let me tell you, a PhD is nonstop, nonstop believing that you're terrible and stupid and will never accomplish it. Um, some of it's self-imposed and some of it from your advisor and your committee. Um, so it, all these things, like, did they help? I think they made me more resilient. Um, I heard a, a, a podcast uh, about a year or two ago with, with a combination of an expert programmer and novice programmers. And the expert programmer said, if you're an expert, you still have bugs, you still have problems, but you know that you'll get past them. And if you're a novice, you don't know you're gonna get past them, they're just scary. And the same is true in business now. So like, I've been through a lot, I've been through a lot of trouble and I feel like, okay, whatever it is, I can get past it, even if it's really difficult right now. So mm. that's, that's been helpful for sure. Mm. Yeah. So was there a person in your life, like a parent, grandparent, teacher, coach, or mentor that made a huge impact on you? If so, in what way? And would you like to give that person a quick shout out? Sure, sure. So my parents, from the time really I was little, I, I, I'm guessing I was in like fourth or fifth grade. I was talking about starting my own company. My, my mother encouraged us to read the newspaper every day. And so by the time I was in, I'm guessing sixth grade, I was reading the business section every day, which mm -hmm. made me seem a little weird perhaps. But um my parents were extremely, extremely encouraging of me trying things, doing things, even though neither of them was in business. 
but both of my grandfathers had their own businesses. And I think, I don't think I explicitly learned anything about it from them, but I implicitly learned just sort of by example, this is something you can do and people can make a living doing it and they can enjoy it. And both my grandfathers, um, one was an orthodontist, one was uh, in auto parts. Both of them, I think, were satisfied with what they did and felt like they were really like helping their communities as well. Yeah. So knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently growing up? Oh, boy. Um, probably. <laughs> well, maybe I would have practiced piano more. Um, so like it wouldn't have been as much of a waste of money. And then I would have had something instead of Chinese to say it's good to be a student and it's good to be a learner <laughs> earlier on than I, yeah, in my mid 40s. Um, look, I, I think that um, I'll tell you. I was one of these kids who was a good student um, and didn't have to work very hard at it. Mm -hmm. And that was great until I got to college mm -hmm. where at MIT, everyone was a good student, but only half of us did not have to work at it. The other half had been working their whole lives very, very hard. And so they got there and just kept going and going and going and working. And the rest of us hit a brick wall, like, oh my God, we actually have to work. And it took me years to learn the study skills, to prepare for tests, not the day in advance, but a week or two in advance to write papers, not a day in advance, but a week or two in advance. Um, and so learning some discipline and learning to plan and prepare, I think uh, would have been very helpful because um, I still write things the night before and do things the <laughs> night before. And uh, one of these days I'll learn, I promise, I promise. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what's the best advice you have for young people who want to be successful in life and in their work? So when I started my work in my business, I want to do consulting because I want to help people. Um, this was before I decided to focus on training and I was just doing programming. And I said, if you have a problem, I am here to solve your problem. I will do whatever you need. Whatever programming language, whatever operating system, I can help you. And this was a big, big mistake. The lesson I learned later on is you need to specialize. You need to be focused on one thing, solve one type of problem. Because even if that means 99% of the people are not interested in the problems you solve, the 1% that are will see you and focus it on you. But, but being focused in your marketing and being focused on how you describe what you solve should not stop you from absorbing, learning, reading, exploring everything else that you can. Be like a voracious reader, be really like aggressively curious about the world because those things will give you insights and allow you to solve problems and do things that others lack. And so, have very, very, very wide inputs and very focused outputs is, I guess, the advice I would give. Mm. Awesome. Thanks, Reuven. Now it's time for the joke of the day. When you look for something, why is it always in the last place you look? Why is it always in the last place you look? Because when you find it, you stop looking. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks again for joining us on the Kids Learn Career Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and tell your friends. See you next time.